Hello. Welcome to the Fantastic Fiction at KGB podcast. I'm Rajan Khanna. Fantastic Fiction at KGB is a monthly reading series held on the third Wednesday of every month at the famous KGB bar in Manhattan's East Village. Fantastic Fiction is hosted by Ellen Datlow and Matthew Kressel and features up-and-comers and luminaries in the fields of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. The following audio was recorded live at the KGB bar, so please excuse the various background noises, bumps in the night, and other disturbances that you might hear. It's a live reading in New York City, and anything can and often does happen. And now, on to this month's reading. We hope you enjoy the following recording, and we thank you for listening. Why did it turn off on its own? It went, hello, hi. How did that happen? Wait a minute, you, it went off before they turned it off. That's so weird, okay. It went off before you turned it off. All right, it's magic. Okay, anyway, hi there. <laughs> hello, everybody. Welcome to... Welcome to Fantastic Fiction at KGB. If you're not here for that, um, please be quiet anyway and listen or go away. <coughs> um, we're a monthly reading of fantastic fiction. We have two readers and we try to get a mix of um, kinds of uh, genre fiction, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And sometimes we have YA readers. And so it's, you know, m- most of you or many of you have been here so you know what happens here. My usual host, I'm Ellen Datlow, and my usual host is Matthew Kressel. He's off in the Bahamas having fun. So taking his place in this heated weather, it's like 75 degrees today, and it feels like 100 here in in KGB. (coughs) So we are actually competing with with Matt. We probably have the same temperature he has. But anyway, my my co-host is David Mercurio Rivera, so please greet him. Thank you, thank you. We have some um, interesting readers coming up over the next um, few months. We have March 21st, we have Chandler Clang-Smith, who comes here, I don't know if she's here tonight, but she often, she helps run the calendar here. Um, And Kelly Robeson, who's just been nominated for a Nebula Award for her novelette, Human Stain. So she'll be here, they'll be here next month. April 18th is John Padgett and Livia Llewellyn. Livia has just announced that she's taken taking a hiatus from writing until summer, but she's still gonna read, so. <clears throat> and hopefully she'll come back refreshed and writing more creepy stuff. Uh, May 16th, Tina Connolly and Caroline M. Joachim, who are both former Clarion West students of mine and have become very successful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and June 20th, Lawrence Connolly and Mary Robinette Cole, and hopefully Mary maybe will bring Puppets or do puppet stuff? I don't know. <laughs> she's really, you know, she, she's very good at reading. And La- so is Lawrence, so. Uh, July 18th, Angus McIntyre, who is here tonight. And <clears throat> TBA, to be announced. We're not sure who yet. August 15th, Michael Weehunt and Jeffrey Ford, who will be coming all the way from Ohio. Um, <laughs> September 19th, Kids Johnson and Patrick McGraw, spelled McGrath, but it's pronounced McGraw. Um, October 17th, Lawrence M. Schoen Schoen, um, and Tim Pratt. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get his pronunciation by the time he gets here. Uh, November 21st, Leanne uh, Renee Heber. Uh, December 19th, Nicole Corner-Stas. I think some of these pronunciations, it may be Stace. I'm not sure if anyone knows Corner-Stace. Thank you. I published her, but I realize I've never said her name aloud. 
um, January 16th, Julie C. Day and Victor Laval, and that's as far as we've gotten for now. Yes. So, and by the way, there are books back there by our readers tonight. I hope that during our intermission, you will buy some and have them sign them, and also that you will buy drinks here. Um, we do this monthly. KGB does not charge us for the space, but they would like us to drink, whether it's alcohol or not alcohol. And so, and tip your bartenders generously because they work very hard. <clears throat> so tonight we have Cassandra Kaur, who is the author of the Persons Non Grata series, the Rupert Wong books, and spends a lot of time worrying about those who buy her backlist because they enjoyed Barely a Lady, her frothy paranormal rom-com. <laughs> She writes video games for a living and won an award for doing so. Her short fiction can be found in places like Tour.com, Clark's World, Lightspeed, and other places. Please welcome Cassandra. No, but I do need to get this to move away. Oh, oh much better. It's magic. Excellent. All right, so I had a 5.50 a.m. flight from Eugene. I ran away from my transfer in New Jersey, and I have slept about three hours in the last 48 hours, and I'm drugged up on cold medication, which is the perfect time, I think, to share the first chapter from my upcoming novel, which hopefully will be finished, and otherwise my agent might disown me. It is a post-apocalyptic fairy tale with cannibalistic mermaids, plague doctors, and a lot of bloody fairy tales just mixed up together. So, if I can you know, arrange this without knocking everything over, I hope everyone will enjoy this. <laughs> Where are you going? I paused. In the penumbra, the fading dust gorgetted by coral and gold. You could be forgiven for mistaking the ruined house or ribcage, the roof its tent of ragged skin. The foundation at a careless look could pass for bones, the door for a mouth, the chimney a finger crooked at the sky. Ash sleets from the firmament in soft handfuls of black, gathering in gauzy drifts around my ankles. The sky's ink and seething murk, whispering secrets to itself. The clouds snarl like long, dark hair. I glance into the house. Two of my daughters look back eyes shining. They are seated aside a twitching form, its limbs too small to have belonged to an adult. Like cats, they croon to one another, even as they nibble their fins and fingertips clean. My breath snags. Only days old, but already they are the best of their parents. They have their father's full lips, his blue eyes, his supple, sun-warmed skin. And they have my teeth my deep water hair, like the lures of the anglerfish spun into thick coils. Nothing sticks to those radiant strands, no amount of gore or mud, which is fortunate given how messily my offspring eat. One fishes a gnawed down finger bone from her moor, flicks it to the ground, the other pounces. And for a moment I glimpse the fair circle of their victim's face, its eyes gouged, its cheeks flinched, its skull emptied of sweetbreads. Mermaids, especially those born half-twins, leave nothing to waste. Of course, I forgot. We can't speak. My apologies. I look back. 
The plate doctor flutters a hand, their voice strange behind their mask. Today they are dressed most austerely, plain black robes, the broad-brimmed hat, the half-skull of a vulture carefully bleached, unornamented save for a single hieroglyph embossing its brow. Alone of my husband's people, what few remain after the apocalypse of my children's hunger? The plague doctor is not afraid, has never been afraid. Do you know where you're going? I consider the question. I toyed with the idea of going home. In my dreams, I still swim that soundless black, so travel as eddies of salt and cone nothing. My sisters are alive in this nocturnal fantasies, colorless, resplendent, their hair floating like a frothing of wedding veils. But these are just baseless images, pieced together by the unconscious, invoked by a longing that has long since had time to grow I have been on the dry land too long. The depths would devour me the way they would any creature of the air. Well, the plague doctor steps closer, fearless. Their eyes are green as the humid, hated summer. I shrug at them. To my astonishment, they laugh. Such a pair we make. I don't know what I'm going to do either. What if the kingdom being eaten to nothing? The look they slide me, heavy-lidden, playful, is so audacious that I'll laugh in spite of myself, soundless. If you don't know where you're going, do you at least know what you plan to do? I shrug again. Over the snow-gilded mountains, I know there are kingdoms without number, pastoral and beautiful, each ruled by another prince or king, another sultan and his court of calm-eyed, women, another man like my husband, pot-bellied and cocksure in the magic he'd stolen from his bride. There, I could go there, perhaps. Find another sovereign who fish a mute from the waters, who marry her, bid her, murder her sisters for a superstition and pry the teeth from her gums for the sake of caution. I could find one of those again, maybe, and wait until my daughter has come to gnaw his country down to its bones. As though conscious of my musings, the plague doctor nods, their voice hollowed by fluted bones. Even after all this time, I cannot tell whether they are male, female, neither, both, some gradient wicking between definitions. And you shall know her by the trail of dead. Harpy phrase. I smile at the music of it. How do you feel about company? I cock my head. A doctor is always useful, they tell me, a fox line. What do you say? I say nothing, of course. My husband cut the tongue from me when he discovered I was pregnant, braised it with five spice and saffron before feeding me the tenderest livers. Animal meat was forbidden, but assisted cannibalism, the soothsayer had crooned, with an insured lion. But I smile nonetheless, and it is answer enough for my new companion. We burned the kingdom to cinders. Pillars of choking smoke rose from the bodies we keeped in the neat stack, stinking fatally, saltily of crisping pork. The plague doctor had insisted. 
to leave the bodies as they were was to invite disease, an epidemic that will rot the soil, infect the water. What is the point of revenge if you can't enjoy it? The plague doctor chuckled as they let my chocolate stippled horse from the smoldering ruins. As always, I offer no reply. In winter, as in the spring, the taiga is beautiful. Pine trees and white spruce scrape at the firmament, skining the snow in strange patterns. There are smaller plants too, aspen and elder and birch, even colonies of withered ferns. Occasionally, I catch sight of the wolves in the tree line. Sharks sleek and gray, bobcats glaring yellow-eyed from some desecrated barrel, foxes their muzzles sodden and dripping with red. The plague doctor's breath plumes through the air as we walk. Mine does not. Though I harbor no particular affection for it, the coal has never been a thing, I fear, a fact that once amused my husband's court to no end. Still, my companion insists on swaddling me in fur, woolly gloves, and a bearskin coat of unusual pallor. It will look strange if you weren't dressed for the weather, the plague doctor says in way of explanation as I fondle my gifts, the lining smelling of musk and oil. People would ask questions. I scan the wilderness. There is no one here but the hares and the badges, nothing but the trees and the quiet, the hawks and the whites pacing spindle lean through the gloom. If there are men concealed in the boughs, they harbor no interest in our acquaintance. The blank doctor laughs, arsenic sharp, a bark of a noise before crunching into a bright red apple. A stranger is an easy target, easier still when they're as strange as you. If you had believed a former kingdom cruel, a place of treachery, let me assure you that it was the finest of our neighbors, the rest of them. Something of a smile emerges, a private amusement. Anyway, yes, the first should help, at least until you smile. The thief will give us away immediately. The plague doctor murmurs as they chew, devil, softer, kinder. I'm surprised that your tongue didn't grow back with them. I shrug. The physiology of my species is protein, unmetered by logic. When we breed with angels, our children accrete feathers. When we lay with hurricanes, we birth storms, wind spirits, and the voices of dead sailors. A thousand mythologies contributed to my conception. Who can say which of them was responsible for this miracle? I shrugged the stump of my tongue. Enough has regrown so that I might separate bitterness from salt, my savored taste of muscle briefly seared over my back teeth, tracing the needle teen growth, and shrug again more empathically than before. In answer, the plague doctor guffaws, a vulpine sound this time. There is no more conversation after that. We stop. Once or twice the tents to the low shrines that dock the woods, half buried in the snow. Wax clogs their hearts like colored tendons, the corpses of a thousand candles. Food rots without, untouched by the forest. I don't believe in souls. The plague doctor whispers at one point, voice husk, and I suspect the words I intended for someone else, some time else. A place and a moment as distant from the present as I am from the sea.
distract the fetter, black as pitch, save for its meridian of fire, from a satchel, and place it atop the melted tallow. But just in case, a fetter to help them fly home. Diaz is the only fetter amid the despoiled meat, the mole spotted breaths. I do not ask why or what, or how the plague doctor expects the spirit to ascend on a single plume of ebony. Even if I had the voice to do so, I would not have. This is not my grief to split from throat to belly, not my past to reconstruct from biscara and ice. And besides, who am I to speak on this? All of my kind are just souls with a cloak of skin and scales barely tethered to the act of living. We walk until the moon reaches the zenith, the cataract eye glowering from the star-drowned sky. Then at a clearing, a square of land jagged with old graves. Its denizens either cannibalized by the forest or changed by it, my travel mate declares. We'll stop here. I dismount with the plague doctor's assistance, out of courtesy rather than any actual need. Partuation has not weakened me. If anything, it has done the reverse. But these small courtesies seem to please my companion, so I perform this rites as a small concession, a trade for services rendered. In the distance, something moans, low and displeased, a wolf, maybe, or a daughter of mine, sharp teeth and jeweled. Black scales already grown bored of her butchered kingdom. The stars blink out, one after another, eaten by the rising fog. Still, whatever it might be, the plague doctor evidences no interest in its existence, divvying up responsibilities with non-committal authority. I am placed in charge of the fire of this evening's meal. The plague doctor tasks themselves with everything else, defenses, the replenishment of our rations, the ablutions of my mouth. Mine are easier duties than I anticipated. I have an unerring sense of which branches serve better as kindling, and which are still green and wet at their heart. The fire comes quickly too, a flash of orange glow, lunging for me like a lover tries to deny it. For food, I roast the trout that the plague doctor supplies. The meat is clumsily seasoned, some dried thyme, some basil crushed under a jag of rock, a rich spill of peppercorns. Before it is then cooked with too much eagerness, too little skill, and not enough sense. At least it's edible, remarks the plague doctor later. As they pick chunks of black burnt meat from, its, from their share, first examining the finds by the darting flame light before tossing them into the snow. I devour mine whole, bones and all. When we finish eating, we lapse into silence, one watching the other. The fog deepens and the firelight smears orange across the plague doctor's mask. What? They laugh, low and rich. I wrap the bridge of my nose. Fingers raised to the vulture beak, trace the wicked swoop of his mandible. The mask? I nod. In all the time we've known one another, I've never seen the physician without the cover of another creature's shell. They laugh, the sound reflected by keratin. Without a word, the plate doctor removes their mask and their hat, dragging fingers through a dense mass of close-cropped black curls. 
The face underneath is raptorial, sharp angles, a mouth predisposed towards wryness, their eyes glittering in pink flash. Not unattractive, not unhandsome, but curiously barren of the phenotypes that mark the human species, androgynous in a way that makes me think of dolls and polished hand-carved things. When the plague doctor turns their head, I see something else. Careful stitching along their jaw and cheekbone, the hollows of their orbital sockets, stitching so fine that it could almost be invisible. Almost. They grin at me, knowing. Their voice, too, could belong to anyone, any gender. You have a question? I take the mask from their hands and rotate the polished rostrum. Fingers mapping its topography of ravines and muslin netting. Once this might have held him for, in dried flowers, a fragrance of cinnamon, glass and eye sockets. But for some reason, the plate doctor saw it, fit, saw it fit to me in the design. I wonder what the halving of it symbolizes. I'll trade you. The plague doctor slitters closer, their ropes dragging across the snow. I inhale their scent, a dry, faint potpourri of herbs, bone meal, frangipani in old letters. When they place their hand on mine, their flesh is warm. Strange as to how natural this feels, this configuration in bones of dermis, with my husband, buried now in the guts of a brood. It always felt like a violation, even his most innocuous caress. One question for one of my own. I nod, letting go of the mask so I might lace our fingers together. You first, they say. I cup the plate doctor's chin, taking care to stroke the sutures, ridging their flesh, and they laugh in easy reply. Those? A questioning look. They detach my grip, so gentle, so cautious of where and how our bodies fit, and place their fists on their lap, body slanted away, the long column of their frame held perfectly still. The plate doctor does not even breathe. Did you ever wonder why I took an interest in your person? It is because we are not unlike you and I. We are both manufactured beings. Manufactured. Understanding prisons. With new eyes, I contemplate the variegation in their complexion, how some swaths of skin are infinitely lighter than their neighbor, how their fingers share no commonality in texture. No, we're not very different at all. Even if one is fashioned with tread and dried sinew, the other cleaved and then conjugated by magic. My turn. What is your name? I breathe the cold deep, and I place the sound of it into the plate doctor's teeth. Right, there's another job there. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Take a break for about 10 minutes. So relax, buy some books.
have them sign it, drink, and come back. Thank you. You have been listening to the Fantastic Fiction at KGB podcast, recorded live at the KGB bar. We hope you enjoyed what you heard, and we thank you for listening. We also wish to thank Gordon Linzer for providing the audio, and Rajan Khanna, that's me, for the introduction and farewell. And always, thanks to our many fans of Fantastic Fiction at KGB for supporting us all these years. See you next month.